SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. It was in July, the last time we spoke, and she is back, Professor Christina Landman, Head of Publications at OHASA. That's the Oral History Association of South Africa. She's back on air this evening because the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture has been tasked by Cabinet to lead South Africa's National Oral History Program. The program's objective is to generate information that will be added to the country's current archival connections. From tomorrow, OHASA will host a conference in collaboration with the Department, National Archives of South Africa in particular, and the Free State Provincial Archives. The conference is themed, The World in Troubled Times, Oral History Challenges, and more importantly, Opportunities. Through this year's conference, OHASA hopes to con- hopes to contend with notions of celebration, commemoration, and leadership as narratives of memory to remember and reflect on our past and to understand the immense contribution, especially of women in the country. So I'm going to offer you the platform to educate us. Go for it, please. Christina, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, Hello. Um, Yes, I want to talk about the conference, which is tomorrow, uh, which starts tomorrow with about 150 delegates. And this year it is in Clarence, in the south of the Free State. Why didn't you tell me this? My goodness, of all places, Clarence, I would gladly be there. We could even be broadcasting from there. It's a very important question because every year, and this is the 18th annual National Oral History Conference held by OHASA um, in collaboration with the Department of uh, Sport, Art and Culture, the reason is that uh, this is the 18th one. So since 2003, um, these conferences are being held every year in another province. Um, so it rotates uh, between the nine conferences. So every conference now, every province now had two chances, a second chance of hosting the conference. Now the previous time we were in the Orange Free State, it was held in Bloemfontein. And now this time it was held in the South because it um, represents um, another culture. Um, it is being held in the Tabu Mofutsanyana district. And it will then, of course, uh, especially honor um, the people uh, who have been living there for, for centuries. So, yes, that's the reason why it is in Clarence and not in Bloemfontein again. It is the second time it is being held in the free state and therefore it is in another place that is important that is important simply because or especially because not simply because especially because it recognizes the people of south africa and by that i mean those people who for the most part for whatever the reason might be who are not in the mainstream understand mainstream in the broad sense but to go to where they are and engage them in their environment in their comfort in a manner that will not look to offend them or look to continue their marginalization. How is the conference going to assist in that regard? How is the conference going to unlock what information remains there and remains there simply because the institutions generally of the country are not quite geared or arranged in a way where minority voices, minority communities 
cultures and languages hence often enjoy prominence like other languages, for instance, like English now. How are we going to engage that? Um, what we usually do every year, except last year and this year, is that in a nearby school we would go and then we would train learners to um, in oral history methodology. And they will go and do some projects and then they will come and give at the conference. They themselves will then give their uh, short papers on, on the projects they have done. And then by that, the area and the peoples, they do come alive to the people attending this conference. Unfortunately, because of COVID, we couldn't do it this year. But that was one way in which we honored uh, the local communities. And we will also, we'll, we will have a, a talk by Miss um, uh, Viakazi, the mayor of the Tabu Mofutsanyana district. Uh, there will also be cultural performances. There will also be at the end, there will always also be visits to um, some cultural sites to um, like educate the uh, the delegates who are going to talk. They will, who are coming from from um, you know uh, nationally from all parts of the country. Some of them will present virtually. It is sort of hybrid. Some uh, will present in person, and uh, there are about now 100 people there. Um, but uh, usually we are about 150, so many of the papers will actually be given uh, virtually. Um, so that is more or less how we try to um, acknowledge the local community. But it is also a, a conference which is based on research. It has sort of an academic background mm -hmm. and not, not so much that it becomes unlistenable to people. So anybody can attend and it's massively informative, massively informative. You learn a lot about all kinds of oral history projects all over the country. Many of them are supported by archives, um, provincial archives. Many of them are supported by universities. So it's massively interesting and uh, it's accessible to, to anybody actually because it is on, on, it brings the voices of people to the front how they experience, how they have different experiences in, in different, um, in, in different contexts. And so we don't only honor the local people, but other papers, and there are about 50 papers, um, a variety of voices are being heard uh, during the conference. Let me just suspend talk about that because you got me thinking about other aspects of our history and memory in the broad sense. 2123, fellow South Africans, please participate. This is something that I believe many of you, by virtue of you being on the platform, would be especially interested in or passionate about. Johannesburg 714-2006. The guest of this evening is Christina Lundman. She's a professor and head of publications at OHASA, Oral History Association of South Africa. We're going to reflect back very quickly, please, on what we are actually talking about. But as a branch, and I'm sort of moving away, the, the, the challenges Lily Sleaf Farm, the institution that it is for our political memory, certainly, but cultural memory in the political realm still, and the challenges in recent times it is facing. The fact that Apartheid Museum is closed, albeit it hasn't shut down, and other institutions of memory in the country are facing real hardships, real hardships where we cannot engage mm -hmm. a part of who we are. Mm -hmm. 
is that going to feature in this conference? Because I can't imagine when we talk about oral history and the institutions that represent our history, they are facing these really dire this really dire future, if you like, on yeah. present facts. Is there not a misnomer in that whilst the conference is good and, of course, is celebrating oral history the way that it is in the region, that it is all for the right reasons, it is all juxtaposed by the challenges that are faced by key and critical institutions which, in a country like South Africa, especially at this time, should on any day never be allowed? Well, when I look through the program, um, it stands out how many voices are being preserved now through this oral history research. Um, there are oral testimonies on of uh, Brom Fisher. There are uh, uh, the Vavenda oral history is being preserved. There's a, a talk on that. There's the Sangu and Matatihel municipalities in the Eastern Cape province that come to voice here. Um, there's customary male initiation practices. Uh, within the Amazizi, Kagamin tribe. You, I myself um, are going to retrieve some voices which are not um, very joyful voices, but voices of women who suffer gender-based violence mm, or have mm. suffered gender-based violence um, in rural Tuyando. So you see, it's a, it's a mixture. But as you say, while the museums, the physical museums are closing down, we have... Um, uh, people um, reviving the the voices of uh, the voices that would have been that would have been dead or stayed um, silent if if this research was not done, and I think what you very um, appropriately said is that you know we have written history that has been so one-sided and so bringing. Um, only the voices of people to the front who have been um, political leaders or have been political leaders in a certain time in our history. But through oral history interviewing, we now bring voices to the front that um, that tell us about um, those silent voices, those neglected voices, those unheard voices. And um, that is the, the goal of this conference. And every year... And, of course, we publish um, the, the papers which are given here. Actually, there's going to be a handover. We are going to submit our, um, um, our journal to the Deputy Minister of Arts and Culture, who is Ms. Mafu. And we are going to, uh, to hand over our um, social memory studies. That is what our journal is called, social memory studies. And we are going... Um, to hand uh, a copy of that over to her. And we also have a coffee table publication, which is on the voices of uh, Tell Your Mother's Stories, it's, mm. um, it's being called. So it's the people telling us the stories of their mothers who might have been diseased by now. And that that publication, it's a fourth volume, I think, will now also be um, hand over um, And of course, Um, the importance of that publication for it to have any meaningful traction is its wide distribution in public libraries, in schools, 
and sort of parts of that publication finding its way in mainstream media to engage people. Yes, of course, there are news items that are always worthy of hearing, but as much our oral history, the essence of who we are, where we come from, is an important aspect. And I like the point that you mentioned that written history, as important as it is, it is one segment of recording and reflecting on the times that were oral history, tonations, how language is passed, how knowledge is transferred, the mix of generations. Think of the elderly telling bedtime, bedtime stories mm. to or around the fire to young ones. I'm going to park that thought there with the hope that as I speak and as you and I engage, we get more callers. We need more voices. And of the voices we are getting, Cyril, not the president, Cyril from Coxstead, <laughs> who equally is a first-time caller. Cyril, welcome to the platform. Thank you for calling. Good, good evening, good evening, uh, Sangazo. And I've been listening to your shows, man. You, you, you. I can say you number one. You, I just, I was just listening to Matthew Paul and so on. I appreciate uh, that. Thank uh, you, uh, Sangazo. Man, you know this oral history. I'm very really interested in it. You know, and I just hear the ladies talking about they having it in uh, different provinces every year. And, and, and then you also are talking about some of the you know, put the communities that are in the mainstream to get their stories. Now, yeah, in KZN, there's an East Greekland. And the Greeks come from Greekland West. Before Greekland West, they come from Pickerberg in the Western Cape. Will the lady agree, or sing as yourself, that... The descendants of the Khoisan, you know, the Khoisan is this umbrella word. Mm. Now, the Greek word is part of the first indigenous people. Now, it's certain history. The history, it's even recorded in archives, nationally and internationally, because remember, British was in reign that time. But the stories must also come from the people. Yes. So, to cut a long story short, I would then request that next year, then let them come and visit the Greeks in his Greek land so that we can tell our story. I have a lot of stories. I'm over 60. And I, 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 I enjoy this, to see the stories and, and, and take it up with written history. Uh, uh, that's just so I will leave it. But do you, Sengezo, agree that the descendants of the Khoisan are marginalized when it comes to this? Maybe for reasons. I, I could not agree with you more. I do agree with you. Thank you, sir. And in part of what you are saying, because we don't certainly have to wait for next year for what you have proposed to the department through OHASA, I can put this down to you. Don't put the phone down. Talk to Lesejo. Give us your details. We will look to have a hashtag Tuesday takeover next week, Tuesday, that celebrates that celebrates the Sen and Khoi communities, their culture, their language, their history, and get to grips of their struggle still in present-day South Africa. For instance, if anybody lives in Pretoria, they would know there is a settlement of the Khrikwa people or of the Khoi and Sen communities at the union buildings. They want audience with the president. It's going on for three, four years now, if I'm led to believe by the accounts that I know that they have been there 
of the things they are insisting on are their land rights. So whenever, for instance, a subject like this will be points of discussion on air, invariably it will take us to who we are. Some good stories to be told and some very painful ones, like the ones that you have alluded to, Cyril. So thank you so much for keeping our conscience honest. We can inform that Lesejo will talk to you. And next week, Tuesday, we will have a conversation that speaks directly to the matter that you have just raised. Is that a fair exchange? Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. Aisha in Uppington. So there's a dangerous choice of, of topic for next week. I'm currently preparing my complaint over that. That, that little episode on the, uh, that one o'clock show. Now, now to the matter at hand. Uh, we, uh, no, before I get to the matter at hand, the koi and the sand are the Nama, Krikwa, Kurana, Kadkoi, and Bushman. And when HISM entertains that topic, can you people please respect us enough to deal with each individual's group, history, tra- tradition, culture, and heritage? Okay, I I confirm that Lesejo will call you too and we're actually going to do a bit of research in that so that we don't offend. The point of what we are doing more than anything else is not to offend but rather elevate each other, educate each other and make relevant and bring to meaning the realities that our constitution envisages but for whatever the reason, the pace at which those realities are being realized by those people who ought to realize them is staggered. And for that reason we will engage you for the purposes of that research. I can't of course guarantee that we will cover everything in the one hour, 30 minutes that essentially we have. It certainly will be a start in the right direction. That's the best I can do and commit to on air at this stage, Aisha. Is that acceptable? Yes. Now, now, now to this, to, to this. Very quickly, please, yes. Okay, now, I can't do this very quickly. Uh, let, let me just say one sentence about this conference. It is ridiculous that the Department of Arts and Culture is spending money on a conference instead of saving Lily's Leaf and the Apartheid Museum and actually preserving what needs to be done. Must I think for them all the time and give it to them word by word how it should be done. Thank you. Yeah, well, Aisha's not very happy this evening. Christina, do you want to respond to what she has said, particularly the last point? Yes, I think you have um, you have said at the beginning that this was sort of a, a government um, uh, order that um, that the department should engage in oral history projects and then should support UHASA. So this is uh, coming from up there, and it's not a waste of time. As I said, time and money. As I've said, many learners, many people um, are engaged in um, producing um, oral history versions of, of, of silent voices. So. Um, and I also want just to 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 um, respond to the previous speaker, and just saying that um, you know there are all there are memory uh, memory studies institutes almost at any every university in South Africa, and when you have a topic that you want to be researched, please go to these institutes and ask them to assist you in in doing that research because it is difficult to have access to a research population. 
And therefore, when people come, and they do, they do come from, from especially from rural areas, and ask that their forebearers be um, investigated, um, and that oral history versions uh, should be attached to that. So, um, really, I think one should look at Uhasa and on this initiative from the uh, Department of Sport, Art and Culture, really in a very positive way, um, because they are really encouraging research that is not done anywhere else, and they are giving voice to voices that are silent. Can I just give the place where this um, yes, sure. conference is taking place? Yes, please. It is in Clarence on the corner of Main and Van der Marwe Streets, uh, in the Protea Hotel in Clarence. Anybody who is interested in going, um, you are welcome there. Fantastic. 21.36, we do have, oh, we're doing well for ourselves here, two first-time callers in the space of 10 minutes. Let's go to Ed Klaverha, formerly Ed by Port Elizabeth. Thomas, Thomas, good evening. Good evening, Thank you, Thomas. And go for it. To your, and to the good professor there. Uh, just a quick one. Um, I think ministers or uh, community leaders... Uh, and specifically, in, in the context that I'll be speaking now, ministers of religion are, are key uh, uh, role players in relation to uh, our oral histories. I, uh, I've personally uh, had an opportunity to sit down with a, a community religious leader, and he was able to tell me the history of my family purely because he's been had been in the community for such a long time, and he had been a pastor. Uh, to my family, when I speak about my family, I mean my much broader family. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, community leaders, in in short, or uh, uh, more broadly speaking, and ministers of religion, uh, or, or other other forms of community leaders who have been in a particular place in a particular environment, are very important for preserving our social and cultural histories. Absolutely. Uh, but great work, uh, and thanks to the professor for for doing the great work as well. Yeah, sure. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Thomas. Much appreciated. And I think I just want to carry on in the sort of light that Thomas is alluding to. I think what I'm also getting from that and in, inherent almost in oral history is that there's still tremendous scope for contribution in a society for the elderly persons in a given society. Mm. Because when we talk about oral history, that's where really the elder people can make that contribution, can connect, if you like, the past with the present, connect the past to the future. They can give us better context, as Thomas the Gentleman was saying, of somebody who's been in that community for a long time, albeit the link in that regard is religious. It need not necessarily be that. Just somebody through time has picked up the wisdom, the knowledge, and can offer perspectives that no amount of Google can. What are your thoughts in relation to that? Yes, I also want to say that everything we publish in social memory studies are available um, online. So if you have internet with no co- uh, it, it will be no cost just in terms of open access to um, to actually access all these articles that are published. Fantastic. I do understand that we've got space for one more caller. If we do have a caller coming through, you probably want to dial us Johannesburg 714-2006 very quickly. Now, Politically speaking, the history that we know is skewed, and and, and I'm getting into difficult territory now given the fact that this is a department-funded thing. Are we ever going to be in a position where, for instance, something that should be available to all South Africans, 
the true political history of the liberation project of the country. I'm saying that because that is something which a lot of people will want to access. This is something which is very relevant, especially as we lead ourselves towards November the 1st, the general election, when parties give us their respective manifestos and their contribution in the nation-building project. There are those voices, for bad, I'm not even going to say for better, for worse, for worse, that have been silenced. When you think of the names Mangalis or Sobuk, where there isn't much that people can reflect on him as his wisdom and legacy. There are many, not just in the PAC, but Azapo. And in the political setup, when we talk about oral history, we can better engage this constitutional project that we can we have. We can better engage some of the challenges in the country when we reflect knowing where as a people we have come from. Do any of these conferences ever reflect that particular turn or that particular aspect of our history? Not just the culture and the arts that one would automatically understand oral history to invariably canvas, but some of the uneasy topics like our political history. Does that feature? If not, why not? And I, I can easily answer that. It's easy to answer, but not easy to do. And uh, that is what oral history is all about, is to uh, fill up those gaps that, that are not being documented and, um, and also to look the uneasy history in the face, you know. Um, in, in Afrikaans, they would say, the heilsgeschiedenis, any onheilsgeschiedenis, you know, so, so history that is... Uh, 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 good for us to hear and it's uneasy for other people to hear and that is what oral history is all about is that um, we have now now we have talks that history may become a compulsory subject um, on, at schools but if we give um, if we give uh, if we from an early age just tell uh, learners only one side of the history and we only um, we can only present them with already published sources, then of course we know we shouldn't even think of, of presenting history in such a way to, to learners. And that is why Uhasa has this effort every year to go to schools and, and uh, teach the learners the methodology of oral history that they go out and they retrieve their own history um, through oral history sources. No, it's very. That is actually what oral history is about: is that um, to fill up those gaps between the written sources. And South Africa have um, South Africa has really the um, uh, shortage of written sources for most part of its history, and that needs to be corrected through oral history. Talking about that, I mean that almost presupposes that our languages, just the language itself should be more and more celebrated. Again, I mean, I might sound like a stuck record, but invariably we can't speak of oral history in the context at which you just described it as absent a conversation of making our indigenous languages appealing to the communities who are owners of such languages. They must speak them and speak them in the mainstream. The mainstream must make content for consumption in those respective languages so that we can unlock through language the cultures of those languages. And then when you associate language and culture, you open up invariably and unlock more of that horror history that is relevant, not just to the community or the group that is the speaker of that language per se, but for somebody who is engaged in oral history, who's engaged in 
dialogue of public interest as SAFM is and for the listeners who are bent on educating themselves up outside of who they are. I mean, there are many listeners, and a lot of them have called this evening, who would want to engage, but unfortunately they don't have scope because a lot of this is locked in language, which language, and I think this might be an issue that South African Languages Board will have to address. We had a conversation similar yesterday, so that the work can unlock history, history which is then told, and in through telling our stories we become, in the truest sense, a people who are sovereign and independent and proud of who they are. Yeah, it's not only about indigenous languages, but also about indigenous knowledge. And um, I think I mentioned it last time when this one woman gave a talk on how um, Hindabele people, um, when they were forcefully removed during the uh, during the Group Areas Act period, um, you know they uh, um, they planted their own medicine, um, plants of medicinal uh, value. But when they were forcefully removed, the land, the ground, was not good for their, for what the medicine that they uh, needed. So they couldn't uh, cultivate it um, because of the Group Areas Act. And they had to go to pharmacies to get um, chemical medicine. You know, those are the types of indigenous knowledge um, uh, we need to bring under one, an- one another's attention. Certainly, you are right. Let's leave it there. All the very best for the conference that starts tomorrow until the 15th. Mr. Nkawe Mafu, Deputy Minister of Sports, Arts and Culture, will preside over the opening. A flag-raising ceremony will also take place at a school nearby. And we certainly hope that this conversation, which has already led us to having a conversation with the Khoi and San communities next week, will be taking place. It is my wish that these conversations will unlock more such stories. And we certainly are thankful to the listeners for keeping us honest and accountable because we probably wouldn't have had that engagement had Cyril not come through to make the commitment that we have together with Aisha. So, indeed, this is already a feather in your cap. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Lanman. Okay, this is very nice. Thank you. Have yourself a good evening, 2146. Good night, everybody. Much appreciated.